Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's reverse chronological lightning round Monday. A new week begins. We pick up roughly where we left off. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'm your host, Dan Vespers. You guys know the drill at this point. If you don't, I guess welcome is the proper term. Thought it for a brief moment. I thought about saying, "What are you even doing here?" But I'm actually happy to have you. If you if you're new to this particular episode, hi, hello. It's week 17 of the NBA season. 17. We have only a handful. What do we have? About three ish weeks left until you're into the fantasy playoffs for most leagues. If you don't wipe out the last week of the regular season, maybe you've got like four weeks left. We are really close now. Coming down the chute. Whatever you got to do, you got to do. Uh, interesting little footnote before we dive into the reverse chronological lightning round is that if you're not in the playoffs in your fantasy league and you're getting any zeros, you pretty much need to cut your worst player. I don't have a great example of this. I have a team that's sitting in seventh place, so that's going to be a thing. Um, and in such a spot, I don't know that you really have to get totally wild at this point. If you're right on the cusp. Uh, but, I, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I don't think you can take a zero if you're not in the playoffs right now. This is critical time. You got to make your run. If you're in that spot, too, you're not going to get up to a, a first-round buy. That's pretty much gone, unless you're top four, I think, at this point. So you may need to readjust how you're doing things. There's really no time to squat on anyone. You can't be stashing anybody if you're not comfortably in the playoffs at this juncture. And on top of everything else, it's deadline week. Trade deadline is three days away. Of course, we have our amazing live coverage set to kick off at 8 a.m. Pacific time on Thursday. So you can't really use moves today. If you're sitting on guys that are going to be getting you zeros, you, you almost have to take them for three days. Save your moves. You don't not, I mean, if you use more than one move before Thursday this week, so help me, I will hunt you down. You know better. Hey, follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Seems like the social media world is really enjoying some of my player appreciation tweets of late. Keep those going. Uh, let's dive into the Sunday stuff. Plus, we got uh, new, some new stuff on ExpressVPN I got to tell you guys about a little bit later on in today's show. Of course, our continuing partnership with the good folks at Thrive Fantasy. I love these testimonial, testimonials I'm getting right now. So we got a lot to do. Let's just dive right on in. Sunday morning, Philly beat Chicago 119-108. Hell of a duel. 40-burger. For Joel Embiid, 45 for DeMar DeRozan, but it wasn't enough because the other guys were better on the Philadelphia side in this one. And they had more of their main cogs anyway. Tobias Harris is healthy. Tyrese Maxey's playing well these days. Seth Curry's back. Chicago, without Zach Levine, obviously without Lonzo Ball. That's for a while. Io DeSumo finally had a little bit of a slower ball game, but still a three-pointer, seven assists, a steal. He's had a really nice run. The, more, the bigger question mark now... Because I think Io is safely in is Javante Green, who's been very good while Zach Levine's been out, but his usage isn't very high right now. He's very hot, 5 of 6 shooting, 6 of 6 at the free throw line. That's the type of thing that doesn't stick 
It's the defensive stats that you're looking at. If those stick, that could create that buttress against any fantasy fall off. I don't think that I'm taking the plunge there. I think Levine's back pretty soon. Back spasms are really painful and very hard to play through, but these guys can get treatment on that like, you know, 12 hours a day. So he'll be better pretty soon. And they're at home. So presumably he's not like having to deal with flights or weird hotel beds, things of that nature. I think Levine's back at some point this week. Brooklyn lost, what is that, seven in a row? Is that eight in a row now? Might be eight in a row. I get my numbers right before I get on air. The Nets are in free fall. It's eight in a row. They're now 29 and 24. After being 13 games over 500, they're only five games over 500 now. And they're now tied with the Celtics in the Atlantic division. Seems insane, right? Six days ago, I talked to my buddy Gil on VSIN, and I said the Celtics at 25 to 1 to win the Atlantic division is not the worst bet in the world. Sixers were like plus 120, and they were already in front of the Nets by a game. They're now in front of the Nets by three games, but Philly has a, just a gauntlet of a schedule to go through. I still like that Boston bet. Doesn't matter. Uh, for Brooklyn, Kyrie will be out in their next ball game, I, but we don't know what's going on with James Harden. It sounds like he's now embroiled in trade rumors. Sixers are looking at him. Everybody's kicking the tires on James Harden because he's very clearly annoyed with the way things are going in Brooklyn. Remember Culture Town USA out there? Not anymore. Blake Griffin filling in at center with no LaMarcus Aldridge and no Nick Claxton, and he had a pretty good ball game. I don't trust Blake Griffin as far as I can toss him. If this team really does go home and there's no superstar, Patty Mills is going to go completely nuts. That's your safe play. I bet James Harden plays in the next ball game. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm thinking, I mean, we could try to read into it. Does he not want to play with Kyrie? Who knows? I, it's probably not that. I, I think he probably just does have a tight hamstring. But they're also not going to push him on it if he's actually being shopped around. And I believe that part. So you might very well see a Brooklyn team without any of their key guys. And Patty Mills taking 22 shots, all of them three-pointers. And he might hit nine of them. It's going to be something crazy. Do I dare go beyond that to like a, a Kessler Edwards or a Cam Thomas or something like that? Uh, only if you're way behind in games played in a Roto League. You know, you pick them up, drop them in, drop them the next day. Because at some point here, Harden's going to play again, and then all this sort of doesn't matter. When Harden is in, I would use Mills at home. When Harden's out, you could use a couple of these guys at home. And then when they go on the road, you just go with the superstars at that point. Again, this is when Harden is in. Meanwhile, can we, can we talk about Nikola Jokic a little bit? He's gone on just an unreal, ridiculous, over-the-top run. Over the last month, he's played in 15 ball games and is averaging 26, 13, and 10. He's averaging, it's actually 9.8 assists, but he's effectively averaging a triple-double over a month. 1.6 steals, half a block, 60.5% shooting from the field on 15.5 shots per game, and 93% at the free-throw line. Over the last month, Jokic is the second-best positive-impact field goal percent guy in the entire NBA. He is the third-best free-throw percent impact guy in the entire NBA. He's the fifth highest assist guy in the NBA over that month. He's the third best rebounder 
in the NBA over that month. Believe it or not, he's actually in the top 10 in scoring over the last, that last month as well. All that to say that over this stretch, he is damn near 50% better from a value standpoint for one fantasy, to, to use one roster slot. When you compare him again to like the top 150 players in fantasy, he's so far out in front of everybody else, it's a runaway. And I said on Twitter, and I'll say it here, it's crazy to think that the first month of the season, he was the number two fantasy player behind Steph Curry, and he was slumping. He slumped into the number two spot. Well, now he's just blitzing everyone. He's boat racing the field. This is one of those very rare years where the consensus number one, every single person on every planet everywhere said, Jokic won. Don't do anything dumb. Take Jokic won. And if you have Jokic on your fantasy team, you'd be hard-pressed not to be in the top four in your league. Like, he, he's doing that in a standard nine-category league. He's basically doing that by himself right now. You're going to be probably in the top three in field goal and free throw percent if you have Jokic on your fantasy team this year. That's crazy what he's done. He's a machine. Every game, he is a damn machine. They don't win every ball game because he has nobody around him. That's why they're only five games over 500. But my God, has he been unbelievable. Very impressive stuff. Aaron Gordon came back. He had a decent ball game here. You guys know I'm not, I can't, I can't bring myself to do it. Will Barton's actually been on a bit, a little of an upward kick here. Maybe pulling himself through the dog days. Nothing of note fantasy-wise on the Denver side. I just wanted to talk about Nikola Jokic for a minute. My apologies for doing so, I suppose. Minnesota beat Detroit 118-105. Nas Reed hurt his knee in this ballgame. Torian Prince uh, tweaked an ankle on the Minnesota side, so they just got a little bit lighter over there. Pat Beverly's back. He's just rumbling along now, doing his Pat Bev thing. I don't think that those injuries to Reed and Torian Prince really elevate anyone in particular. It's probably a tiny bit more for Malik Beasley, but meh. That's a big load of meh, as far as I'm concerned. With Prince out, that's probably a little bit more Jaden McDaniels, but I'm kind of in the meh wagon on that one as well. Detroit is your more interesting side, getting a lot of Kelly Olynyk questions, and I'll say the same thing again that I've been saying for now a week. Because Jeremy Grant came back at the same time as Olynyk, he wedged him out. Those guys are basically splitting the power forward minutes. Isaiah Stewart and Trey Lyles are basically splitting the center minutes, and they're just too many bodies right now. But Grant, very much on the trade block. So if you've sat on Olenek for any stretch of time, sit on him for three more days, would you please? Don't start him. He's not good enough right now. He's playing strict backup minutes while Grant is getting showcased, doing his thing. If he gets moved, Olenek probably plays 25 minutes. And then, well, then it's heave-ho time. Get it rolling. Hell, you might see Trey Lyles get moved. Isaiah Stewart's actually been a tiny bit better. I still don't regret dropping him, but he has been a tiny bit better. Meh. Again, that's another big old meh, as far as I'm concerned. No Cade Cunningham in this game either, uh, so Sadiq Bey continues to have a better run. Hamadou Diallo actually played relatively well, considering he was dealing with Pat Beverly for long stretches. Oh, and D'Angelo Russell came back for the, uh, the Timberwolves. Dallas wins again. Luka Doncic was in foul trouble. Jalen Brunson was in foul trouble. Trey Burke was in foul trouble. Every guard on the Mavs was in foul trouble in this game, and they pulled it out anyway because the Mavs are sneaky, pretty freaking good. They're 31-23, and 23, and if they weren't trying to chase down the Grizzlies, they'd have a real good shot at that division. But Memphis has a really easy schedule, uh, so the Mavs are just going to have to be comfortable 
trying to pull into like the four seed in the Western Conference, but they're good. Make no mistake, the Mavs are a good basketball team, and Reggie Bullock has slid into Tim Hardaway Jr.'s spot seamlessly and actually almost feels like a tiny bit of an upgrade. Better rebounder, better defensively, and he's hitting all those same open looks. So Bullock is a start. Brunson has been great lately. He's been getting better, and some of this has to do with the fact that Kristaps Porzingis is still nursing that knee contusion, and Maxi Kleba's been out. So Dwight Powell is a stream while both of those centers are on the shelf. Dorian Finney-Smith has been like barely startable for most of the season at this point. You can kind of start the starters for the Mavs right now, and when Kleba comes back, and he's probably starting, eh, even if he's not, he'd be behind Dwight Powell. He'd be a start. Uh, and then when Porzingis comes back, that's when things are really going to get a little wrinkled up. Powell won't be a go. Kleba won't be a go. DFS might not be a go. He may still hang out on the right side of it. And Bullock's the one that I'm wondering about. When Porzingis comes back, what does that do to Bullock's ability to rebound? How many shots is he? And I'm not going to be 14 when Kristaps is around. It's going to be more to KP and less to everybody else. Will he still stay above the cut line? I'm willing to stick it out, see what happens with Bullock. He's been really good lately. I mentioned him as a stream on last week's podcast and thought, I don't know, this, there, you know, there's a lot of ways this one doesn't work out, but he's exceeded all expectations. Meanwhile, over on the Atlanta side, Aniko Kongu and Clint Capella continue to not get even close to all of the center minutes. Capella played only 20. Okongwu played only 16. They've gone small for stretches with John Collins at the five, which is great for Collins. He had 18 rebounds in this game on Sunday. Yeah, they lost, but he was their best player in it. I continue to wish that someone gets out of the way in Atlanta, open up a few more minutes for Collins, maybe at the five. Maybe Gallo can see a few more minutes at the four. We know Gallinari. If he got, like, two more minutes per game, he'd be a fantasy value. This, Like, he got close in this one. 11 points, five boards, a three, a block. He always makes his free throws. That's a really nice feather in his cap. God, I wish Gallinari could get just a little bit more. And I tried to warn you guys about DeAndre Hunter. He's just, he's going to be a very boring fantasy player. Kevin Herter, same story. I think Bogdan Bogdanovich generally going to be better than this. He's the wing that I like the most on this team. I don't know. Did you guys follow any of what I just said? I listed every name on the Hawks. Okongo had five defensive stats here, but 16 minutes just isn't enough. So as much as I'd like him to be a feature, 16 isn't enough. Every once in a while, he'll creep up to 20. But of course, you know, we're working with averages here. So if your average is 18, probably not. Buried the lead a little bit, didn't I? Indiana trading away. Karis Levert, he's on his way to the Cleveland Cavaliers. They played each other, so it was a locker room swap. Cavs sent Ricky Rubio and some other mishmash the other way. Uh, and then Demonis Sabonis came back on the same day. So we had this very, very narrow moment where it was like, oh, Chris Duarte is going to get to do everything, and there's usage for days. So... Who's going to pick up all the stuff? Will it be Terry Taylor? Will it be uh, Kiefer Sykes? Will it be Justin Holiday or Tory Craig or Dwayne? And then it was like, oh, no, it's, it's it probably going to be Sabonis, who played 25 minutes, had some foul trouble early, and, you know, they're not going to push him too hard going up to the trade deadline either. So things are going to be weird in Indiana is the short version. Um, Duarte's an ad in the near term, and you could probably use a move on him today, provided you don't do anything else nuts in the meantime, because he's going to have a truckload of usage. He's basically going to be running the offense. 
unless we see Malcolm Brogdon, who was actually questionable for this game before being ruled out. We might see Brogdon again sooner than I thought. I figured that they were just going to sit him for a while. They're in no rush. I don't know how many of their pieces they can legitimately trade, too. Orlando did it as well as anyone. They jettisoned everyone but Terrence Ross last year. But most times, we don't see teams get rid of all of the pieces. Usually a team gets rid of like two out of four or one out of three or something like that. It's hard to trade everybody, get proper return back. But if you're going to go full blow up, you just go full blow up and see what happens. Get what you get, screw it. Call it, a, you know, if you don't feel like you got enough, whatever. They get an okay haul for Levert. Not terrible. Um, you know, so I'm not going to say to like go use a move on Justin Holiday. If you had him already, great. I think he'll be like pretty decent here in the short term, but he's probably on the block. And Miles Turner's definitely on the block, and Sabonis is on the block. And I don't know what the status is of Brogdon. Can they even move him? He's always banged up. Teams, are they willing to take a shot on that sort of thing? If all of these guys get out of the way, what's left? Isaiah Jackson is hurt right now. Does he jump in front of Goga Batadze? I would think he does. Because I think, personally, I've seen enough from Goga to know he's not an NBA player. I mean, he's in the NBA, but he's not, like, a difference-making NBA player. Isaiah Jackson could still be. The jury's out on one of those two guys. There's the mystery box, and there's the, like, the old mayor, Goga Batadze, who's not old, but we know what he does, and it's not all that impressive. Uh, I don't think Terry Taylor is the guy who slides back into the, the big minutes. I think it would be Jackson if they get rid of all of the big men. That's the guy that they'd like to take a look at. What about if they get rid of the wings? Is Torrey Craig on the move? Is Justin Holiday on the move? Who slides into those minutes? Brissett? Dwayne Washington? I don't think I'm willing to take a shot on Indy with my moves this week. It's too nebulous. You could use all three or four of your weekly moves picking up Pacers, and then and you might get nothing out of it other than Duarte. That one feels relatively safe. He's going to get to do stuff. The only way that Duarte doesn't have 12-team value is if Brogdon and Sabonis are still on the team together and healthy and they're playing. Because they might be healthy and they might just not play them. It's tank time. Meanwhile, over on the Cavs side, there's kind of no point in breaking this game down because Darius Garland was still out and they don't have Lavert yet. So, meh. Boston blew out Orlando 116-83. We got to see Mo Bamba play a little bit finally. Eight points, ten boards, a couple of blocks. Missed his shots, but this, I mean, really, he was like a three-pointer away from a really nice ball game. Chumo Kiki kept his foot on the defensive stat gas pedal and continues to be streamable as long as those defensive stats keep rolling in. Jalen Suggs played a little bit better, did have six turnovers, but I mean, you know, you put up 83 points. If you get an even half-decent line, you call it a win and move on. Celtics got stuff from everybody. Dennis Schroeder had a big game with his name on the trade block. The Time Lord had a very quiet game, and it was still brilliant. 10.6 boards, two steals, two blocks, four or five shooting, both free throws went in. Ah, love this guy. And Al Horford looked better. Good news all around. Oh, except Marcus Smart. He had an off night, but, you know, whatever. Pelicans, when Brandon Ingram plays, the Pelicans win. It's the darndest thing. They're basically a 500 team when Brandon Ingram's around. By the way, Pels are now the 10 seed. They're in the play-in tournament as of this moment. Bet you didn't see that one coming. I didn't see that one coming, but, you know, Portland 
hitting the full implosion trade away everybody button is the, the thing that really flipped it. Brandon Ingram was great. He's been playing his butt off. Josh Hart came back, so that's good. But the news of the day, not Devontae Graham. We already told you, when Ingram is in, Graham needs to be on your waiver wire. The news of the day is Jackson Hayes, who played really well when Ingram was out and then when Hart was out. And the question was, what would he be when both of those guys came back? And the answer was, shifted to the bench, still got 28 minutes. At the expense of who? Well, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, big drop-off in what he was expected to do. And if the Pels are really going to go a little bit bigger, yeah, they got to deal with sort of a Twin Towers thing, Christian Wood, Alperin Sengun, which another piece of news from this ballgame. Uh, but to me, this is enough now. This is enough data. And it kind of was last week. I think we talked about Jackson Hayes a little bit last week, didn't we? Hope we did. If we didn't, it's because I forgot to put it on a list somewhere. But we certainly mentioned him during the week as, hey, what's this guy going to be? Do we take a flyer on him? I did on a couple of spots. I think I have him in like two or three out of my 13 teams where I had a spot. Uh, and I feel really good about it. He looks great. He's efficient. This is going to be an easier game. But, you know, it's not always a bad thing to work off the bench. You get to play against some second units. You're going to get easier buckets that way. He has a chance. He has good fantasy numbers, too. Real nice fantasy game. So pick him up if he wasn't at it already. He probably was, but you know what? Take a shot. And on the Houston side, Alperin Sengun, starting center, Christian Wood, starting power forward. This is great news for Sengun. This is not great news for Christian Wood because life is better when he's the only big man on the floor. His rebounding is going to take a hit. Just expect it. Sengun, on the other hand, if he's really going to just sort of get the minutes he can handle now, this is a big deal. Also of note, Eric Gordon, DNP, bubble wrapped that dude for the trade deadline, and look who got a nice big bump. Garrison Matthews, 30 minutes with no Gordon, 18 points, five three-pointers, four assists, and a block. We may have seen now the start of the Garrison Matthews value segment. He was, wasn't he one of our three deadline stashes from the Friday show? Along with Melton and Olinick. And the beauty part here is that we might have gotten a preview ahead of time. He's also available in a ton of fantasy leagues. His roster ship is going up, and this is a big part. You know, if the Rockets are now officially trade deadlines here, they're hitting the button. They're hitting the go button on get all the young guys in. Let's take a look and see what we've got. Matthews is, is a delightful player to throw into that mix. Then here we were ready to stash him for a few more days. We might, we might just get to hit the streets and ride a little bit early. Clippers are an interesting team. This is one uh, because... Did we do a podcast since the Clippers made their trade? I don't think we did a pod since that trade. Um, truly can't remember exactly what time that went down. I think it was Friday afternoon, but now my brain is on the fritz. So... Uh, in case you didn't hear, but you likely did because it happened three days ago, and I just can't remember if we talked about it, the Clippers made a trade. They got Norman Powell and Rob Covington from the Blazers for uh, Eric Bledsoe, who apparently is dealing with a sore Achilles, Keon Johnson. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter, truly. Nobody going to the Blazers is going to be doing all that much. The guys coming to the Clippers do figure to play some kind of a role in what L.A. is doing moving forward. But as we saw... Here on night one, and I and I did a little bit of a tweet storm on the trade when it went down, which, um, oh, Grayson Allen was a, a late scratch, so that was kind of annoying. Pat Connaughton slid into his spot. But 
looking back at Friday, my first thought was, look, when a trade goes down, simplify your analysis. You can always try to think through things. Oh, what are all these little nuances? What's going to go down? The simple answer, Occam's razor, is that the Clippers acquired two bona fide rotation players for effectively one semi-bona fide rotation player, meaning the guys coming in are going to be doing more than the guys that left. Thence, hence, thenceforth, the guys that were still in L.A., those that were not traded to the Blazers, meaning most of the team, figure to do a little bit less. On top of everything else, Ivica Zubats came back for this game on Sunday after missing a couple with a calf deal. So that pushed Serge Ibaka to the side. I had delusions of rolling in Ibaka's stream for one more game, but that uh, neither here nor there. Norman Powell came off the bench. Rob Covington came off the bench in their first game, but Powell looked quite comfortable. He came in there just firing away, and he figures to do a lot of that, and presumably will work his way into the starting lineup at some point. At whose expense? We don't know. My guess would be at Amir Coffey's expense. And the Clippers just go sort of like a like big wings. Not a giant lineup or anything, but they'd be sort of big winging with Powell, Batum, and Marcus Morris at the 2, 3, and 4, and then Zubats at the 5. All of this is just going to pull away from the names that already existed. Luke Kennard is going to get to do less. Batum is going to get to do less. Marcus Morris, who did have a better ball game here, is going to do less. Reggie Jackson is going to do less. Did I already say Mir Coffey? He's going to do less too. Terrence Mann is going to do less. Norman Powell is maybe not going to do less. It's hard to say. His role is probably going to be pretty similar from Portland to LA, which is score a bunch. But Rob Covington is going to do less, and this might very well be the death blow to my good buddy Rob Covington's fantasy value. You guys know how much I love Rocco. I wasn't as high on him this year as I had been in the past, but he was definitely hitting it with the Blazers lately, especially with Larry Nance on the shelf. Covington had been on a serious run. This slams the door on that. Like, I don't see a way that Covington consistently plays more than 25 minutes a game. I don't see it. There's too many big wings on the Clippers already. I just listed off all of them to you. Rob Covington and Nick Batum are going to be asked to do pretty damn similar things. Marcus Morris is in that same bucket. Big wings everywhere. Terrence Mann, not as big of a wing. Amir Coffey, medium size. Like, it's an endless supply of wings. The Clippers have them all, and they may, I would assume, have another trade in the books. So that's where this thing comes down. First of all, Isaiah Hardenstein is is a straight drop. If you were stashing him, I gave up on him a little bit last week when we saw that Serge Ibaka was like the, the flavor du jour. But with the Clippers retooling here, bringing in more proven bodies, this is almost like their way of saying, look, we want to be ready in case Kawhi or Paul George do come back this season, even if we don't think Kawhi does, even if we have no idea if PG does. If they're leaning into going for it, whatever that means right now, that means Hartenstein, who's the younger guy, he's going to get pushed out a little bit in favor of Zubats and then in favor of Serge Ibaka. I don't know what's going to happen at the trade deadline. Do you think the Clippers could move Luke Kennard's contract? It's a little bit of an albatross. It's pretty big. I know he's playing better lately, but it's a pretty big contract. Do they move Marcus Morris's contract? How many guys would they have to move 
to open up stuff for these other guys, and then who the hell even comes back in a trade like that? Do not use any moves related on the Clippers right now. Hold on to Covington a little bit just to see what the plan is with him, but I have a pretty strong feeling that in the next 10 days, he's going to be ending up on wires. Makes me sad to say it, but sometimes the situation just isn't right. I think Norman Powell and maybe Zubats might be the only two Clippers worth rostering in the near term. Very reasonable chance that that's what goes down. Hey, um, so have you guys ever stopped and wondered why internet access has actually gotten cheaper while everything else has gotten way more expensive? It's because internet service providers aren't just making money off of your subscription fees. They're making money by spying on your activity and selling your browsing history to big tech companies. Seriously. That's why those prices have generally stayed the same or even gone down for all the bandwidth you could possibly handle while your cable bill's gone from $80 to $220. And your internet went from like $40 to $42 in the same amount of time. Because they're covering their money other ways. How can you make sure that your data is encrypted and your ISP can't take it and sell it? ExpressVPN. How do they do it? ExpressVPN creates a secure tunnel between all your devices and the internet so everything you do online is encrypted. You're in a tunnel. They can't see into it. Do you want to know more? Let's geek out a little bit. It reroutes your connection through a secure server which blocks your ISP from seeing the things you do online. All they can see is that you're connected to an ExpressVPN server, but beyond that, they can't figure it out. It works on all of your devices. Tablets, smart TVs, phones, computers, your router. The whole family can stay protected. I cannot stress this to you enough. ExpressVPN is so simple. You open it up, you click on one button, and you can be anywhere you want. Which actually sounds like the plot of a futuristic movie. Anyway, your data is your business. It's not theirs. Don't let them make money off of you. They're not going to change your price because you say you can't have my data. And that's what's happening. Go to expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Get 15 months for the price of 12. An extra three months on your ExpressVPN protection for free. That is expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Learn more now. And, you know, we said it before, go get all your other good stuff. Get your streaming services unprotected. Get what you're paying for. That's the thing that drives me nuts about this stuff. You're paying for all these services. Stream what you want to stream. Why wouldn't you be able to stream what you want to stream? Turn the clock back to Saturday here. Memphis blew out Orlando, which... How many times do we say blew out Orlando in one podcast? Jaw was great. De'Anthony Melton had a better ball game. They gave him 22 minutes even. Lo and behold... And he was good. He was a plus 14 in them. Brandon Clark looked good. 10-8 and eight with three assists. Good percentages. Might have even done more if not for the blowout slash some minor foul trouble. And for Melton, I mean, this is the thing. You're holding him through the deadline. His numbers have been down this year, largely because his field goal percent and free throw percent are unseasonably low. If those things come back towards the mean, he could even be a value in Memphis. But if he gets moved, sky's the limit. He is one of our stashes, and he continues to be. And I like Brandon Clark. I don't know why people... I, I get tweets every once in a while. It's like, ah, oh, Brandon Clark, he's only going to get 20 minutes. That's all he needs. Don't get so obsessed with the minute total if there's a per-minute situation developing. Rookie season, we saw Brandon Clark top 90 in 20 minutes of ballgame. He can easily do that again, and has been. 
Phoenix uh, beat the daylights out of Washington. Daniel Gafford got to play a little bit in this game and then immediately slipped into COVID protocols. <laughs> Thomas Bryant came back, started, five points, four boards. That was not good. He's probably the stash among the centers. Not trade deadline related, health related, but it does seem like they want Bryant to be the guy to sort of win, whatever the hell that means. Anyway, Mikael Bridges has been on a nice run too on the other side. Wizards are going to be real ugly here. I hope they trade Bradley Beal. I'd love to see him somewhere else and playing with confidence again. Miami beat up on Charlotte. They got a load of players that are all questionable for the next ball game. But one thing that's not questionable is that Bam Adebayo looks a lot more like himself after getting a whole bunch of rest. Kyle Lowry was a little better in this one too. Whatever that's worth. Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, etc., etc. No real news on the Charlotte side. There was one thing we were keeping an eye on, and that was what would happen to P.J. Washington when Gordon Hayward came back. And the answer is, P.J. went back to 19 minutes. Womp womp. Move along. Lakers, big comeback win over the Knicks in overtime. Anthony Davis, big game. LeBron, big game. Malik Monk, fitting in really nicely, sticking in the starting lineup. Trevor Ariza filled in for Carmelo Anthony admirably. And Russell Westbrook played the single worst basketball game I think I've ever seen in my life. Oof, was that bad. No huge surprises on the L.A. side, other than Malik Monk being still so productive despite LeBron coming back. And again, I guess this is a good reason why you don't make preemptive drops, because you just kind of never know what's going to happen. And Frank Vogel came out with a quote post-game saying, well, you know, when we go up against tough opposing guards, we will dot, dot, dot. And this is where I thought he was going to be like, replace Malik Monk with Avery Bradley. And he said, replace Stanley Johnson with Avery Bradley. So they're going to have one true defensive stopper in that starting five. It'll be Stanley Johnson against bigger guys. It'll be Avery Bradley against smaller guys. And the rest of the lineup is going to be more offensive-minded. I, mean, I know Anthony Davis can play some serious D, but yeah, I mean, he's out there because he's a superstar. When you're talking about filling the spots, it's not the Stanley Johnson, Avery Bradley, and three studs kind of thing. And I don't even know if we can call Westbrook that anymore. And Russ, by the way, got benched late in this game because he was horrible. Julius Randle looked pretty good on the Knicks side. Maybe he's starting to come around. R.J. Barrett had a big ball game. Uh, Evan Fournier has been startable lately. I think that's probably your fantasy notes on the Knicks, is that Fournier, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me like the eighth time. This does kind of feel like the one where he's officially settling in a little bit. His shots have been up more consistently. So I'm buying it. For the first time, truly all year, I'm buying it. Ah, poor Portland. A look at the other side of that Clippers trade. That's like the dead man walking kind of thing. CJ McCollum without much spirit. Yusuf Nurkic playing without much spirit. Things are about to get real goofy in Portland. I wouldn't use any roster moves on this team this week until the trade deadline. I'll tell you, you're going to see some odd stuff. Like you might see McCollum get rested and people go out and... Honest to God, I don't even know who you'd pick up. Dennis Smith Jr., Trendon Watford... But they're going to move some bodies, and they're going to get people back. They're going to get young players back. They're going to get expiring contracts back. They're going to get picks back. Portland's going to look pretty different, I would think, Thursday at 1 p.m. than they do today, Monday morning. So I would strongly advise you, and, and maybe something emerges, like maybe this is Ben McLemore gets, just, gets to go crazy for the last month and a half of the NBA season or something screwball like that. 
but I sure as heck wouldn't use a roster move on any of these guys until we know for certain that it's someone that they're looking to build around. Sacramento got a win because Tyrese Halliburton's been amazing lately. 17 assists for Tyrese. Rashawn Holmes, 25 minutes. Maybe that number starts to creep back up a little bit. Oklahoma City, um, no Lou Dort, which really cut him down now. No Dort, no SGA, uh, no Aaron Wiggins hurt himself. So uh, finally the usage dropped past Josh Giddy, who's sort of the lead horse now, to Trey Mann and Darius Baisley. And Alexei Pokashevsky even got to play a little bit. This is another situation, by the way, in Oklahoma City, that post-deadline, not that they have a bunch of things they could trade away. Derek Favors is kind of the only veteran on the whole team. Kenrich Williams, I guess, semi-veteran. This is a team where things could look pretty different, too. Like, do they bring up Pokashevsky and feed him 25 minutes a game? Do they give Darius Baisley full-time starters minutes even when Dort and or Wiggins come back? Keep an eye on it. I've been fading Baisley hard up to this point, and probably should continue to do so because if he gets a whole lot of volume, that's just a lot of ways for him to hurt your fantasy team. But it was particularly if you're looking at a, like a points format or if you're punting field goal percent or something along those lines, if they dump him out there for 35 to 38 minutes a night and just say, hey, whatever, like go crazy, there may be some upshot to it. Maybe. Speaking of upshot, prop up shot with our buddies at ThriveFantasy.com and the Thrive Fantasy app. I love these testimonials I'm getting of you guys putting $10 in at Thrive Fantasy with promo code ETHOS and winning like a thousand, which is so crazy because the $10 you're putting in, you probably won for free with us over at mybookie.ag. So you probably took your MyBookie winnings, cashed out a couple bucks, threw them over into our Thrive Fantasy partner, and now you're earning money in a bunch of different places. Do check it out. I promise you'll have a blast. It's a fun way to play DFS that doesn't have that day-to-day stress on your brain the way that normal DFS does that, I don't know, for me, you know, I'm, I'm not like an old man. I know that. But there are certain things in life where I look at them and I'm like, this must be what a truly old person feels like with a lot of stuff, which is, meh, I don't really feel like investing enough time to figure this thing out. That's where I'm at with regular DFS. But with Thrive, it's not the same thing. It's prop bets. I know what stars are going to do. I know what games I care about. I know who I'm looking at. That's where the fun kicks in. Again, it's promo code ETHOS, 100% deposit match, and the free contest entry vouchers that really make the deal. ThriveFantasy.com, promo code ETHOS. Do it today. If we turn the clock back to Friday, try to figure out if there's anybody that we missed over the weekend, the Toronto Raptors were a weekend free team. They didn't have to play over the weekend. Uh, Chris Boucher only played 19 minutes in that game on Friday, but he's uh, kind of beginning to get his groove back a little bit, so that's why he stuck with it. He had a big ball game actually, the one before that one anyway. Spurs played on Friday, but not over the weekend. No big notes there. Jakob Pertl came back, so Thad Young went back to DNPs. If he gets moved at the deadline, I know the Warriors are in the mix there. Might have some value. I honestly don't think I would use a move on him right away if we found out he got moved somewhere. I know that's crazy because he's Thad, but... If he goes to the Warriors in the same day that Otto Porter comes back, then they're kind of running into each other. I know Thad could play some center, I guess, but honestly, I just don't know if there's enough room. Donovan Mitchell came back for the Jazz on Friday, and he was good. Didn't look like someone who was concussed. Shot 8 for 10 from the field. Hassan Whiteside came back, played half a ball game in a blowout win. 
Rudy Gobert starting to get closer. I think they're hoping to get him back this week, so you could try to squeeze one more out of Whiteside. Feels like it might be surprising if Rudy was back for this one, this next ball game. I think they're playing tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't look at it. Don't have that tab open right now. Because uh, he was sort of a limited participant, which feels like he needs to do more before he's ready to throw him back out into a ball game. So, yeah, I mean, juice the Asan Whiteside lemon just a little bit longer and uh, then get ready to make the flip back to Rudy Gobert. And that is your reverse chronological lightning round recap. Big thank you, as always, to our buddies at mybookie.ag. The promo code over there is the word hoopball. And continuing big thank you to our pals at manscaped.com. Promo code there is ethos20 or hoopball20. Either one works. Ethos20, E-T-H-O-S, 20% off free shipping on your order of any product at manscaped.com. And I would ask you all once again a free thing to do. This doesn't cost you a cent. It'll cost you six seconds. Click the link in the description of this podcast to go visit our Trade Deadline live show page. It's set up for Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific time. We're up to 220-plus likes on the show, and it hasn't even started yet. Can you help get us to 250? Come on, go do it. You don't even have to write anything. You click a link, and you click a thumbs-up button. Two clicks on your screen. Please don't tell me you can't do that. I know you can. Do it for your pal Dan, who never charges you a cent for this podcast, even though we do 250 shows a year, and my voice feels it. Feels the pain. Also, sweet new graphic on our trade deadline show. Shout out Luke Wheaton, doing graphics for us over here. All right, I'm sure anything else that hits my brain, I'll throw at you guys on Twitter. I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter, and you guys, I hope, are following Ethos Fantasy BK leading up to the trade deadline. God help you if you're not. By the way, can I take a moment to just sort of kind of clown on the fantasy news feeds that don't provide any analysis? How helpful is that really going to be for you when they break like a six-team trade Oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so went to this team, and three guys went to this team, and two guys and six draft picks went to this team. You're not going to want to figure that out. Lord knows I'm not going to want to figure that out on the fly while I'm doing the trade deadline show. Ethos Fantasy BK is the fastest feed with analysis. The other ones are just aggregators. There's no value add there. I get it. Some of those other ones, they can go a little faster because they can type what a beat writer already typed. If you want to know how they get it so fast, they follow all the beat writers. You can do that too. You don't have any aggregator is useful if you can do all the analysis yourself and you have all the time in the world. But you got to follow Ethos Fantasy BK because those guys are so smart and they're going to get it out to you with a rundown faster than anybody else in the industry. I'll talk to you guys on Twitter. And then again tomorrow. And then the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. Because that's how we roll here on Fantasy NBA Today. Iron Man streak. Knocks on wood. I'm Dan Vespers. Have a great Monday. So long, everybody.